You are listening to audio from Central Baptist Church in Mansfield, Texas. If you would like to get more involved or get more information about our church, stick around after the message. And if you have your Bibles, join me in Joshua, chapter number one. Joshua, chapter number one. We've been going through a series in Genesis. And we got to portions on um, what we believe teach the sanctity of human life. And so we talked about a number of different topics that have to deal with birth. Um, and now we're talking about a number of different topics that have to deal with death. Last week we talked about capital punishment. Um, tonight, at the very least, we're going to talk about war. I do not know if we have time to get to the DNR order section or not, um, but it is in your handout, and if we don't get a chance to get to it, you're more than welcome to look at it before next Wednesday, um, and we will go over that next Wednesday, uh, but we're talking about war. War, when you're looking at the Bible, is a very interesting topic. Um, we know Exodus chapter 20, verse number 13, the sixth commandment says, thou shalt not kill. Um, if you know your Bible, we know that means don't murder. Um, so how do we view Exodus 20 verse 13 compared to other passages where God literally commands his people to go to war? If you don't know, the book of Joshua is almost entirely a book of war. Now, there's war after war. Now it's not like wars that we have today. In fact, the first war, um, there's not an arrow shot, a sword drawn. Um, all they do is walk and shout, right? Um, so that's when Pentecostals started. Come on. Um, but how do, we, how do we look at both? Um, is it, if we're not allowed to kill, is it okay during war? And is it okay in all wars? Um, I mean, what if you're a Christian and you live in Russia? There's got to be some, right? Um, uh, well, how are they viewing the war that they're in? Um, uh, obviously, one of the most unchristian nations in the world is North Korea. But if they ever went to war again with South Korea, what would they do if there was a Christian amongst their ranks? Um, Christians in China, um, other parts of our world, how do we view that? What if one Christian in one country is literally face-to-face -face with another Christian in a, another country? How do we, as Christians, view war? Some of them, in the, uh, some of the stories in the Bible, are easier to swallow for us than others, and we're going to look at at least one of those stories that is difficult to swallow tonight. But let's start first in Joshua chapter number one. Look at verse number six. God is talking to Joshua. Moses has just died, and he's telling him what is about to happen. And he gives him this Be strong and of a good courage. You know, we put verses like this up on coffee mugs, put them on walls. Um, but in context, 
God is trying to charge up the leader of the Israelites to go to battle. So he looks at his leader, says it's time to be strong and have a lot of courage. For unto this people, the Israelites, shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers, talking about like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give to them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. What is being said here is go to war, but obey the law. That seems tough. I mean, right in the middle of the law, one of the top ten, don't murder. So what is being said here? If you had a biblical concordance, if, you're, if you come on Sunday nights to the class that I teach, we just talked about some of the things every Bible student needs. And one of the books every Bible student has to have is a concordance. Your study Bible will have a, a, a smaller version of a concordance, um, uh, but every Bible student needs one. Here's a good news. Um, Brother Johnny and Kim have been working on a library for us, and there's a couple of concordances in that library. Um, so if you want to borrow one to see what it's like, you're more than welcome to. Uh, that'll be up and running here very, very soon. Okay, um, But you need a concordance. And if you looked at that concordance, and you opened up to W, and you looked at the word war, you would find over 400 times in the Bible, most of them in the Old Testament, that it talks about some sort of war. Ecclesiastes 3.8 tells us that there's a time to love. What's interesting is the next little phrase is there's a time to love, but then there's a time to hate. Isn't that interesting? And then there's a time for war and a time for peace. Battles were planned throughout all of the ages according to God's appointed time and purpose. The Lord describes his people in Jeremiah 51 20 as my hammer and weapon of war. Isn't that interesting? Jesus warned in Matthew chapter number 24 verse 6 that his coming would be preceded by wars and rumors of wars. There are many wars that are mentioned in your Bible. I list a couple on your handout. There's wars of conquest, which is what we're reading. Uh, you know, he goes to uh, uh, Jericho, Ai, uh, Midianites, all of these different countries, these little city-states, and they have war. Um, there's civil wars in, mentioned in the Bible just like we had in the United States of America. There's even a war in heaven mentioned in the book of Revelation. Of course, wars involve killing. There's no way around it in, in war. We know that murder is sin, but what about the killing of an enemy combatant during wartime? The difficult notion is that if you are face-to-face -face with your enemy and you're both a Christian first, we know that not all killing in war is a sin because there is times where God himself commanded battles to be fallen. God told the ancient Israelites to possess the promised land. In fact, just before the conquest, the Lord appears to um, Joshua as the um, angel of the Lord. 
Um, the Bible tells us in Joshua 5.14 that he was dressed as the commander of the army um, and that he was a man of war, Joshua 5.14. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about God, a pre-incarnate um, appearance of God named Jesus, dressed for battle. Not only dressed for battle, but leading the battle. Um, not only dressed for battle and leading the battle, but they give him the description as being a man of war in verse number 14. God laid out the battle plans for the fight right after that. Joshua 8, after they messed everything up because they got prideful in Jericho. God himself gives the battle plans for Ai. God told King Saul to go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them in 1 Samuel 15. King David defeated the Philistines multiple times by following God's command concerning the battle. God never tells people to sin. Can we all agree on that? And yet God commanded his people to wage war. According to Billy Graham, the Bible certainly urges us to pray for peace and support those who work for peace. That should be our goal, right? Romans tells us, as much as is in us, live peaceably with all men. That should be our goal. Billy Graham continues and says, but the Bible also warns that we will never bring about a complete end to war and conflict. And the reason is because we're all sinful people. And nations are run by sinful people. And pride and egos and jealousy, all of those things are very dangerous when they are leading nations but we've seen it in our history, and it's not going to stop. <clears throat> Later generations return to those conflicts in physical or emotional ways. Um, hurl bullets at one another back and forth. Any peace between traditionally hostile nations and neighbors is always uneasy and suspicious. All we have to do is look at Russia and the Ukraine. Both sides know the new conflict could flare up in just a moment. The defeated side nurtures a thirst for revenge. You know that's true, right? Weapons of war have included swords, guns, cannons, and words. There is always a risk that nations who live near one another will always come to, uh, come to battle. So let's look at some Old Testament stuff. Um, there are several examples in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, of military engagement. All you have to do is read Joshua tonight. Not a very long book, 24 chapters. You can read it this evening if you really wanted to, and you'd find battle after battle after battle. And we have to ask ourselves, why would a good God send his people to take land that is currently occupied by another nation? Why would a good God order his nation to kill women and children. We must remember, however, that there are no innocent people. Before we go any further this evening, let's get on the same page. We can't ever cry unfair to God. Because the moment that we cry, God, treat me fair, is the moment we're saying, God, I deserve your judgment. Because we all deserve God's judgment. 
our cry should be, thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for your grace. The Lord sent his people in the lands, which generations before he had laid aside for them. Israel conquered those lands and in the process took lives of those people. The book of Joshua is particularly challenging. And it's important, however, to read it in context. There's plenty of violence there. But also, every nation that they went to war with were idol worshipers engaging in pagan rituals, which would have included things like child sacrifice, which would have included things like breaking the Old Testament law, even though they were considered Gentile nations. Let's think about that for a second. Canaan didn't just spring up from another God's creation story. It wasn't like there was another God competing and said, okay, if the other God can make Adam and Eve, surely I can make some people too. No, that's not how it happened. The people in Canaan, do we know who they come from? Ultimately, Adam and Eve. But then Noah, do we know which one of Noah's sons they come from? They come from Ham. Um, all of the descendants in Canaan, the, the Midianites, the Amalekites, all of them come from Noah's son, Ham. Each person slain by Joshua, each person that was killed in battle was made in the image of God and were a descendant from Noah, his wife, and ultimately Adam and Eve. Yet the Canaanites were led to reject God somewhere between Noah and Joshua. They turned to uh, debauchery. They were guilty of treason against the commandments, the roots of which were implanted in each person when he or she was shaped by God. Let me prove it to you. Join me in Romans chapter number 2. Romans chapter number 2. One of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. Look with me at verse number 14. It says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. Um, God is simply saying that even people groups that have never heard of the Ten Commandments still naturally have it written in their hearts what is right and what is wrong as part of the general revelation of God that is all around us. And surely the descendants of Ham are not an exception. They knew what was right. They knew what was wrong, and they chose to do what was evil in the face of the true God. When Joshua led his army to battle, they were not descending upon regular towns. This was a, a military outpost. When you read the story of Jericho, this should be obvious to us, right? Um, uh, God is pulling down the Great Wall of China. He's not going and demolishing Beijing, so to speak. You know what I'm talking about? It's a military thing. Um, think about this. Parts of Canaan were to be left alone if you read the entire book. And Israel was commanded to offer mercy 
on occasion, invite the Canaanites to worship God, yet few accepted. Yet still, there are tough passages in the Old Testament. Numbers 31 is one example. There are many nations in the Old Testament that go against Israel all the time. Obviously, we think of the Philistines, right? When King David was at rule, the Philistines were a powerful nation, and he had fought them since a teenager. Goliath was a Philistine. Before that, when you go to the book of Judges, the Midianites were still a very strong people. They had taken over, and remember, Gideon is afraid, threshing some wheat. But they had been in power for a while. They were in power all the way to the time where Moses was circling the promised land in the wilderness. Um, Numbers chapter 31 is a passage that causes a number of especially skeptics to question the Bible. Um, The Midianites had gone to battle against Israel. They had hurt them, caused a number of them to be killed. And God commands to go out, uh, the nation of Israel, to go and go to war against Midian. Um, He says you need to get 10,000 men ready for battle from Israel. Each, I'm sorry, 1,000 men from each tribe and make a total um, uh, regiment of 12,000 men to fight. They go to fight and they whip them. They go in, they whip them. It's hardly a contest. God is over the war and obviously they get a victory. But the, the troubling aspect, they bring back the spoils of the war. They bring back most of the women most of the children. When they bring them back, God is displeased. And he calls upon Moses to go to the people and to kill all of the women who weren't virgins. Probably more of an age thing than a virginity thing. And so all of the women of age would have been killed. And then he calls for all of the boys to be killed as well. You know who does this? It wasn't Moses' idea. It was God himself. Yep, I thought it was going to be that kind of reaction. (laughs) It's a tough passage to read, but it's there. And we need to deal with it. Here's what's important. We read it from a 2023 context. We read that and we're like, how in the world? That That is hurting my sensibilities. That is not anything like that should ever happen again. But we can't read it from a 2023 Metroplex context, right? I mean, none of us are battle ready. Well, there's one of us that's battle ready. <laughs> but everybody else isn't, right? We're, we're, we aren't battle ready tonight. Goodness gracious, I don't know if they make that stuff in my size. Can I get a witness? <laughs> They'd have to roll me down the hill. I'll catch up, guys. No, I have to. <laughs> Um, but you know what I'm saying? We, 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 compared to them, we're soft. Yeah, yeah, um, we're soft. But the culture helps to determine what is being read here. On Sunday night, in fact, this past Sunday night, we were going through a series on being able to defend your Bible, apologetics. And we looked at a passage in Ephesians chapter number six about slavery. And, uh, you know, today, if you imagine me, I think I gave this illustration Sunday. 
imagine me as a pastor, and I actually brought up the Ohio State University. Um, we'd already have a lot of conflict going on anyways. Um, but just going to the University of Ohio State and having the big hall filled with all those college-age students and me just reading Ephesians chapter, five, or Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 5, slaves, obey your masters. And that's all I said, and then I left. What do you think would happen? Right? They would, they would take up stones. Right? They would stone me half to death. Or to death. Especially if I was wearing blue. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> um, but why? It's because we're in 2023 and we're reading it from our perspective to then. Hear me, friend. In Numbers chapter number 31... We have to understand that if the young men were left to live, they would surely grow old and seek vengeance someday. Think about when David became king. Why did, oh man, I'm going to forget his name. Someone help me. The young Mephibosheth. Remember the story of Mephibosheth? What, uh, Saul had died in battle. The house heard that he was dead. And the, the nurse that was taking care of Mephibosheth was running out. What does she do to Mephibosheth? Dropped him. He breaks his legs, and he can't heal them because he's living on the outer part of the realm, and nobody wants to find him. Why doesn't anybody want to find him? Or why doesn't he want to be found? Excuse me, that's a better question. He was afraid the family of David was going to find him and kill him. Why? He just a five, six-year-old, why would they do that? It's because it's the culture. They didn't want anyone that could form a rebellion to the throne. Now, King David obviously brings him in and makes him one of the family, but this was the culture that they were in. And so they were making sure that no rebellion was going to take place. But again, I must emphasize the point. When we look at any portion of the Bible we also have to understand that every single person that we read about is guilty. Every last one. We are all guilty. Listen, I have two boys here tonight. They're both guilty. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> they are both guilty. I mean, one of them lied to me bold-faced last night. Lied to me bold-faced. I'm not going to tell you which one because someone's going to look at him funny afterwards. You're just going to have to wonder. But one of them lied to me, bold face. I didn't teach him that. His mama might, but I didn't. <laughs> right? <laughs> we come by it through our nature. Every last one of us is sinful. Think about this. Do you know what the Midianites were known for? They had created a god that would have looked like a very, very fat form of Buddha. They would make a brazen stove, and inside they would put, uh, and the firstborn son of every family was required to be sacrificed in that oven. Do you know what they did with the wives, the ladies? There was a ritual where the oldest men in the tribe 
could have their way when she turned 13. And I could go on and on and on. These folks were not innocent. They were guilty. And God used the nation of Israel to exact his justice. All right. Let's continue. So the New Testament does seem to take a turn. Um, you know, Jesus shows up and he begins to preach a different message. Um, uh, he shows up and talks about forgiving sins, talks about the heart, the inside. But all because we don't see a battle doesn't mean the battle's not taking place. And all because the focus of our battle changes doesn't mean we're not. Hear me, Christian. When you step out into that world, you're literally in battle. I'm going to guess that maybe even some of you are here tonight, and you're fighting something right now. Can I prove this to you? Jump to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. Look at verse number 11. Paul tells us Christians to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle. You know what? Another way to translate would be for we war. Not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are at battle right now. Every last one of us. Um, you are carrying things and you are literally fighting something right now. The sad thing is, we have grown accustomed to our culture so much that many of us are sitting on the sidelines while this war is raging on around us. We've allowed the devil into our homes and we're not fighting against him. Many of us may be cheering it on as it happens. Friend, you're at battle right now. Jesus came and from the moment he took the stage, he was in a battle. Herod, what did he want to do once he found out that he was born? Kill all the baby boys. Um, uh, when Jesus comes on the battle, he goes to get baptized. After that, he goes and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Goodness gracious, could you imagine? 40 days and I, I get hungry after a service. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> 40 days and 40 nights. But what happens after he's done? Here comes the devil. And he goes into this battle. It's a battle that maybe nobody else could see, but there he is fighting it. Don't you know that at the Garden of Gethsemane, the devil was putting more pressure on him than any man had ever felt before? Lord, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. Then he went to the trial after trial. Don't you know, on the cross, when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That the devil and his army were fighting harder than they have ever fought before. Sure he fought. Sure he did. It's just a battle that the disciples couldn't see. And that kind of upset them. One more passage. Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. 
Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But look what Jesus says. Wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. They may be hear this wrong. He does say something here in a second. But they were probably thinking of a different promise. Okay, you're about to take over, aren't you? Oh, yeah, it's about to go down. Look at verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, look what they asked. Lord, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? You know what they're asking? Is it battle time yet? Jesus, you've been too peaceful. Jesus, we, I, Peter's probably got that sort of, hey, remember what I did to Malchus? I can do that some more. If you all don't remember, Malchus had his ear cut off. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> uh, I can do it again, Jesus. They're ready. Because if Israel is going to be a kingdom again, they weren't just going to have to fight Midian. It wasn't just going to be the Philistines. It was going to be a world empire named Rome. I mean, we're talking Caesar Augustus. We're talking soldiers that probably would have made Israel 10 to 1. And they're saying, it's time now, Jesus. I mean, you just came back from the dead, right? Let's go to battle. No. We have a bigger, we have a bigger battle than to fight against people. We're fighting a battle against the devil himself. Now, the devil still uses wars today. So how do we view war today? The thing is, there's no theocracy, right? The nation of Israel and, um, should have had it easier than us because to go to battle, they could literally look to God. Okay, let's go fight. No nation today has a command from God to wage war. God is not handing out battle plans like he did to Joshua, to David, or to Saul. Yet wars continue to be fought. Sadly, it's a part of our fallen existence today. The Bible never condemns the actions of soldiers following orders on the battlefield. Think about a couple examples. Um, there's a centurion that came to Jesus. A Roman enemy to Israel, centurion. And Jesus commended his faith and actually said there is nobody else in Israel that has faith like this centurion, this soldier. Jesus could have condemned war on the spot, but he never did. In Acts chapter number 10, to get help get the gospel to Gentiles, us, Peter has a dream about a man named Cornelius. You know what Cornelius was? A centurion. A soldier. So one of the first Gentiles to receive the gospel after uh, the ascension and the beginning of the church was a soldier. Most tellingly, some soldiers come to John the Baptist who was baptizing in the Jordan River. The soldiers asked John, what should we do? This would have been the perfect opportunity for John to say something like, don't go to battle. Stop engaging in warfare. Put down your swords and pick up a washcloth. I don't know. <laughs> Just stop. 
But he doesn't do that. No. So being a soldier is not an evil thing. I mean, in fact, there are times when we're called to be soldiers. The Apostle Paul, in fact, a number of times, compares the Christian walk in Christ to being a soldier in the battlefield. The passage we read in Ephesians goes into detail about the type of armor we're supposed to wear in this battle. And then we all know that at the second coming, it's going to center around Armageddon, a battle, a war. There's going to be a war in heaven in the future. Um, the good news is we're not going to have to do much. <laughs> it's going to be on Jesus' sho uh, shoulders. Throughout the Bible, warfare is presented as a grim reality in our world. There are forces of evil that must be stopped, and bloodshed is sometimes the result. Listen to me. There are good wars that still need to be fought. And we need to commend our young men who stand up in that gap for all of us that don't go to war. We should be a nation that is grateful for every one of our soldiers. We should thank them. We should pat them on the back. Because even if they get an evil order, they're not the ones that are following through. Or they're the ones that follow through, but on behalf of their commanding officer. <clears throat> so, are there parts of war that would be sinful? Of course. Killing civilians, torture, war crimes, and many others. Unjust wars are sinful, but wouldn't be held to the soldier's account for following orders. So war, never a good thing sometimes a necessary thing. And we must pray for wisdom for our leaders in such cases. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We're located at 700 North Walnut Creek Drive in Mansfield, Texas. You can visit our website at cbcmansfield.com or follow us at Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CBC Mansfield. Thanks again for joining us.